surprising in my surroundings. I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing amazed that the focus remains the focal focal point of my change. Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And I am so excited to bring you this conversation that I had just the other day with Mario Fraioli uh, as part of the Rambling Runner Virtual Summit that is just finishing up now as I record this intro. I'm excited to bring this to you because this is a topic that has affected a lot of people recently, and that is transitioning from road racing to trail running and potentially even ultramarathons. Now, Why is this relevant now? Well, so many road races, as you well know, have been canceled over the past year. And frankly, they're not coming back in droves even now. With that said, there are still a lot of trail races that are happening just because they're easier to social distance. And just the logistics of the endeavor makes it more palatable in this era with COVID and everything else we have going on. So, so many people are trying these new things and it's really exciting. However, They don't know where to start. Even the beginning logistics of the endeavor and the experiment, never mind the training and and all the things that go into it. So I was really excited to get Mario on here. So many of you know Mario for his writings, for his newsletter, for his unbelievable Morning Shakeout podcast. I mean, he does such a great job. What you may not know, because Mario doesn't talk about himself and he doesn't advertise this stuff, but he's one of the best coaches out there as well. He coaches some of the best runners in America that are out on the trails. Let me talk a little bit about that. Um, in terms of his own background, his own bona fides in regards to where he can provide people insight and expertise on this topic. I'm just shouting it from the rooftops because Mario is an incredible person and an incredible coach. And it's important for me that you know that because he really is all of those things. So let's get into it with Mario Fraioli. Mario. Thank you so much for joining us here, uh, starting off Saturday morning here on the Rambling Runner Virtual Summit. First things first, thank you so much for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Always a pleasure to talk to you. So quick little intro. Uh, As I said with Jason Fitzgerald yesterday, my intro of him, if you know of me, then you already know of Mario. (laughs) There's not not many people who are like, I know Matt Chinnam, but I don't know Mario Fraioli. But for those of you who may fall uh, outside of that Venn diagram, let me just tell you real quick, <laughs> Mario is all things running media. He has one of the most popular running podcasts um, out there, the Born Shakeout podcast. He also has the newsletter uh, with the same name that's extremely popular as well. He has uh, written so many articles and feature stories and all things running for so long. And I mean, that's just that's just a quick and dirty of it. Mario is, is not only a man amongst the running media. He is also a very high, you know, very well-respected and high-level coach. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about now. So Mario often highlights other people. Today, we're going to highlight Mario and his expertise as a coach, specifically people who are looking to convert from road racing to trail racing and ultra running. Mario, why is this a topic that maybe is maybe more prevalent now than ever before? The simple answer is more and more people in the past few years, even pre-pandemic, have become interested in spending more time on the trails and exploring ultramarathons specifically. Um, It's funny because a lot of times mountain ultra trail, it is called mutt running, M-U-T running, um, but it all gets lumped together into one 
category, which on, on one hand is great, but within that category, there's so much diversity just in terms of the types of events that you can run, the distances that you can run. I mean, there are things like there are 5K trail races, there are 10K trail races. People forget about this kind of stuff um, because what we see on social media and what gets reported on in the news is the UTMBs, the Western states, the 100Ks, the 100 miles, the 50 miles, like all those things. And they're great. Um, but there's just so much in that world. And for me personally, as as both an athlete uh, who started exploring this stuff myself about seven years ago, six, seven years ago, and as a coach, it's really exciting um, just to see people like really getting into it, getting out of their comfort zones, trying something new. And we'll get deeper into this over the course of this conversation. But like I really look at trail and ultra and mountain running as you know, it's like a cousin to road running. Um, there, there are a lot of similarities and there's a lot of overlap, but in some cases they might as well be different sports. And I think it's important to think about it in that way. All right. So let's, I, I did a quick little bio. You have an extensive coaching bio here. Can you just talk a little bit about some of the athletes that you coach that do this mutt running? Yeah. So I started coaching, um, mountain trail and ultra runners back in 2014 when I moved to the Bay area from San Diego. And I had always, you know, I'd gone for runs on trails, um, prior to moving up here, but I would not have considered myself a trail runner. And I didn't really have much interest in ultra running as, as an athlete. I hadn't done an ultra myself to that point. Um, and I, I wasn't sure that I would, but when I moved here, there's just such a community around it and there's just incredible off-road places to run. So it's, it's, you're almost doing yourself a disservice as a runner by not checking it out. And I fell into a group with the San Francisco running company, which does a Saturday morning run pre COVID times, Saturday morning run on the trails. And I was hooked right away. I was also humbled. I, I totally ate it on my first trail run and, um, which is something we can talk about, but I, I totally ate it, but I loved it. I was like, this is great. And I started becoming really curious. I've been coaching, um, a lot of, you know, 5k, 10k half marathon or marathon or types to that point. Um, so when I started hanging out with these, these trail mountain ultra runners, um, and there were some very good ones here in the Bay area. I think that first year that I lived here, three of the top 10 at Western States in the men's race lived in mill Valley. Um, and the U S 50 K champ, hundred K champ and hundred mile champ all lived in mill Valley in this town. So the, the coach in me started getting real curious. I'm like, how do people train for these, these crazy events? Um, like what's different about it. And I started talking to all these different athletes and what, what really, um, jumped out to me like right away is just the, is just the ways that they got into the sport. Um, more of them than not, like their entryway into running was through trail ultra and mountain stuff. They didn't have any previous background as a marathoner or as a half marathoner or cross country in college. And then there were a few who did, who came up what I would call the traditional route, the same way that I did running track in high school, maybe through college, did some road marathons, and then we're looking for, for something different. So you know, I just started getting curious and asking a lot of questions. And then I had, um, uh, one of the first athletes who asked me to coach her, her name is EO Wang and I still coach her to, to this day. So I've been working with EO now for about six years and EO was a very, she didn't run in high school and college. She has a pretty incredible story herself. Um, you should totally get her on your podcast. I had her on mine maybe two years ago. That was a great but, episode, by the way, it was really, really well done. But she, um, you know, she didn't run in high school or college, took it up 
in grad, I think it was grad school, um, when she was at MIT in Boston and she eventually became a, a very fast marathoner. She qualified for the trials in 2012. She's run 238. Um, she'd put down some quick times and, and we had been running together through the San Francisco running company. And she asked me if I would coach her for trail and ultra races, um, because she had started to take an interest in those and had done a few. And I was, I was up front with her. I said, look, I, I've run 150K, I think, to that point, because I, I ran my first 50K within three months of moving here, which is a story in, <laughs> into itself. Um, but she knew my background, like working with other types of runners. And she's like, you know, I think, um, I think we'd be a good fit. Like we've talked training. I like your philosophy. And I was like, well, if you're willing to, to figure this out with me, um, you know, let's, let's give it a shot. And I've still been coaching EO to this day. Um, and she's won Lake Sonoma a couple of times, uh, North face 50 mile U S 50 K championship. Um, that same year I started coaching, uh, Tim Tollefson who just started getting into trail and ultra running again, similar background was running on the roads, marathoner, uh, half marathoner. He had run in high school and college. He'd run one, uh, 150 K and 150 mile prior to us beginning to work together. And he's gone on to podium at UTMB, uh, CCCs, won some ultra trail world tour races. Um, and hopefully we'll run Western States this year. Should it happen? Um, Caroline Bowler, uh, who is not competing right now. She just moved her family to England, um, a few months ago. But I've, I've been working with Caroline for about the same amount of time. Uh, just before that, actually, I started coaching her for the marathon. She qualified for the trials in 2016 and then went on to win national titles um, in the 50-mile, 100K on the roads. Uh, so she did road ultras, which um, aren't as popular, quite frankly, as, as a lot of the trail stuff. Um, but she's done some good stuff on the trails, too. She still is the world best at 50 miles on the trails. She did that in Texas um, a few years ago. So that's a, a small sampling of some of the athletes I've worked with. Sally McRae is one of my athletes as well. Um, she's very well known for top 10 finish at Western States. Uh, she's won, been on the podium at some ultra trail world tour races, um, top 10 at Badwater. Um, and yeah, I've, I've got a pretty varied roster of athletes. Um, and a lot, a lot of them have come into the sport. Um, from, you know, that half marathon, marathon road type background. And then, I mean, I work with a, a number of not as well-known age group runners as well, um, who in recent years have, have like taken the plunge, so to speak, to get into the trail mountain and ultra world. Right. And those, the, the runners that you listed there are very well-known, even to people outside of the trail and ultra community, like myself, right? Like I don't mm -hmm. typically interview uh, trail runners. I'm not a trail runner. I was, I was joking last night. Like when I run trails, I actually have to wear my glasses so I don't eat it uh, <laughs> on every single run, uh, which creates a, an awkward situation. So assuming that someone who's listening or watching this is mm -hmm. already a runner of some sort, right? They're already a dedicated amateur runner, you know, getting into just the logistics of, you know, how do you run? What is, you know, what does a 30 minute run feel like? Let's just skip all of that and just go, yep. okay, say, say you're someone who's used to running, you're already putting in the miles and you want to start making the transition, what are some of the things, just basic first steps that you would want them to take? There are a lot of things that you need to learn how to let go of. And that is one of the biggest struggles for road racers who are new to the trail. So it's a, it's a whole list of things and we'll go through it. So one of the things you have to let go of is your pace per mile. Um, and, and along with that, just miles altogether. So with my trail ultra mountain athletes, um, I typically assign their training in minutes and by effort, 
not by distance and by pace. Um, because depending on the trails that they're running, the event that they're prepping for, a lot of that stuff is irrelevant. Um, and that can be a real hard nut to crack for a lot of half marathoners and, and marathoners because we're just so, and I was this way too, you're just so in tune to, okay, I'm going to go run you know, 10 miles in 90 minutes or, or whatever it is. Um, or I'm going to go do mile repeats and they're all going to be at seven 30 per mile or whatever it happens to be. Um, and on the, on the trails, because the events themselves are so varied. So like, you know, no, no two 50 Ks really are the same. Um, there's, and then there's a very big difference between like a 50 K and like say a hundred K, um, type of deal. So the types of workouts that you're doing and the effort levels, which is what you need to focus on that you're, that you're running at, um, they, they vary and you need to wrap your head around that, that, you know, you're not going to be going out and running a consistent pace for a set amount of time. You could be out on a, you know, a, a one hour trail run and, you know, your first mile is straight up a mountain and it takes you 20 minutes. Uh, and then you bomb down and it's going to take you like six. Um, and, and it's just like, that doesn't happen on the roads. It just, it just doesn't. So it's like letting go of all of that and just being more open-minded to a different approach as far as how you think about your training, how you quantify it. Um, and just how you're approaching it on, on an every day basis. Because I, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of road runners, uh, especially if they're trying to set a personal best or they're trying to qualify for something like, you know what those numbers look like. Okay. If I want to break a, a four hour marathon, like I know that I need to run like nine minutes per mile to do that. Um, so you have that in mind when you're doing your workouts, when you're on the, on the trails, um, especially when you're, you're running ultras and stuff like that, there are just so many other things that you need to, you know, that you need to worry about. So it's just learning how to let go, you know, let go of those things. So that would be my number one, you know, piece of, piece of advice. Um, and that's, and that probably for new trail ultra runners, at least when I start coaching them, that's what drives them crazy from the get go is just like, you know, I, I, you know, I'm used to going to do a 10 mile run X amount of time. And now, you know, I'm, I'm out there like twice as long or, or whatever it happens to be. And it's like, okay, well that means we got to think about our, our training differently. So, um, that, that to me is probably the biggest thing that I, I would tell new folks who are getting into this space for the first time. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, it also ties into gear. So let's talk about mm -hmm. the gear that might be necessary, necessary or not even necessary, but advised for someone getting yeah. into this. And I know that you have a list that you're working off of. In addition, how important, if we're going to insert this as well, is, is the GPS watch. So let's just, we, we can go through the list that you, that you started with, which I think is valuable, but also how GPS watches can be helpful and not helpful in light of what you just mentioned. Yeah, so... Um... GPS watch is a, is a, I wouldn't say it's a necessity, but I'd say most trail and ultra runners do have one because it can give you a lot of information. Um, you know, it, depending on the make and model that you have, I mean, number one, you, you're going to probably, if you're, especially if you're getting into ultras, you're going to want something with a much better battery life than, than what you're used to. Um, because you're, you're going to be putting in a lot of hours and some of those longer efforts are going to be, um, quite a bit longer than you're used to. And you want to make sure your watch holds up for that. So on a very practical level, you're looking at that. Um, but in terms of, you know, what it's, what it's giving you, I mean, I never, one thing I never thought of before I started getting into trail mountain and ultra stuff is like vertical gain. Um, you know, if you're running half marathons and marathons, it's kind of hilly or it's not hilly. And some people are certainly more analytical than others. I was not. Um, and I remember, people talking about like, oh yeah, there was this many feet of elevation gain on this run or the elevation gain, you know, on average on this loop is, 
you know, 250 feet per mile or whatever it is. And I didn't know exactly, I didn't know what that meant. Um, so you learn, you learn what that means and you, your watch can tell you that, um, again, depending on the make and model, like you can get a watch that tells you like, Hey, you gained 250 feet that last mile, or, you know, you've run, uh, you know, a thousand feet of elevation gain, you're eight miles into the run. And maybe for that run, like you're trying to fit in 1200. So, you know, you've got 200 more to go. Um, that's stuff like I never looked at as a roadrunner, and I'd, I'd argue most roadrunners aren't looking at, um, especially when they're out doing their key workouts. So, you know, as far as a GPS watch goes, um, it's a fine line because you also don't want to become too analytical with it because um, you can because you can track elevation gain and loss, um, you know, temperature, heart rate, uh, but you're also trying to keep perceived effort in mind, but it's still spitting out pace to you and you're trying to make, and now power. So you're trying to make sense of like, what, you know, what do all these numbers mean? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't focus too much on that, especially right away, but just understanding there are other variables that you will pay attention to. One of the biggest ones being elevation gain and loss. Um, and that, and, and why that's important is, depending on what event you're training for and you're trying to prepare yourself for the specific demands of the course, like that is one of the key things that you need to keep in mind because, um, on a physiological level there, you know, you've got to be ready for that. Um, you know, in terms of what the requirements are in terms of like the climbing and then also preparing your body for, you know, the descents or flat running and that sort of stuff. So, um, those are things that your watch can tell you that are, are important to keep in mind. Um, I think, going deeper into gear, the most practical piece for all runners is shoes. Um, and that tends to be one of the first questions a lot of folks ask when they get into to trail mountain and ultra running for the first time is, do I need new shoes? And the answer is maybe. Um, it depends on the type of trails that you are going to be running because no, no tr two trails are created equal either. Um, and depending on where you live, just taking the U.S., for example, um, the types of trails are different depending on where you might be in the country. So here in California, uh, people give us a hard time because we have a lot of trails, but they call them California carpet. And what that means is they're, they're very smooth. Like they're just like buttery and soft. And honestly, 90% of them, you could just wear your road running shoes um, and you're going to be fine, especially if it's dry out. Um, you know, but if you are on a trail that is more technical, that's rocky, uh, if you're dealing with some weather, especially if there's a lot of, um, you know, up and down, it can be very jagged. A trail shoe is going to make a big difference for you. Um, and they, and they are constructed differently. So, you know, thinking about, thinking about footwear, I'd, I'd think about first, like where it is that you're going to be running. And if it's a rail trail type of situation, they're fire roads, you might not need to go drop money on a very specific shoe for, for trail running yet your your road shoes are probably going to hold up just fine um but if you're running stuff that you know has some rocks has some roots um you need a little bit more protection on your feet like that is definitely that is definitely something you want to start looking at um because the the shoes themselves are made to handle those different types of environments they tend to have more carbon rubber on the outsole they will give you a little bit more grip um you know on the trails one thing we may talk about later in this conversation is like, it's not as uniform as road running. So, you know, the, the variety is a lot more, the way that your foot is moving is a lot more. So the way a lot of trail shoes are constructed is to have some, um, medial and lateral stability, not necessarily for pronation control, but just like, you know, you're bouncing from rock to rock, that sort of thing. Like the sidewalls of your shoes, um, might take a bit more of a beating. So they're, they're more reinforced, like those types of things. Um, and that's why I think it's important. Um, 
it's hard to do right now because a lot of places are closed, but during non COVID times, going into like a specialty run shop and talking to the experts there who can give you some advice on getting into trail running uh, and can show you some different models. You can feel how how they feel on your feet because they do feel differently. Um, they tend to be, you know, they're, they, they've gotten lighter and lighter, but they tend to be a little bit heavier. Um, they tend to be a little less breathable because they're going to keep your feet more protected generally than, than road shoes. But that is something that you definitely want to explore depending on, on where you live. Like you're on the East coast. Um, you know, I've run, on, I grew up on the East coast and I've run a lot of the trails there and they do tend to be like rockier, rootier. Like there is just much more that you need to pay attention to. And a trail shoe can be very beneficial in, in those types of environments. They can definitely give you some more bite. Um, they can definitely give you some more protection, a little bit more stability. And, and those things are important if you're going to be doing a lot of off-road running. Right. And and we don't have to dive completely into the shoe side, but there are, as you mentioned, there's variables that, you know, for trail running shoes that are, that are, you know, can really play into the kind of terrain, right? Whether you're wearing like the Brooks Catamount 2, which mm-hmm. is much more like, hey, this is a great trail running shoe, but it's not made for the extremely hard technical running shoe. Whereas you can get like the Hoka Mafate, which is a completely different animal. They might be in the same like section of the running store, but these are completely different shoes. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that's why it's important to talk to someone who knows what it is that you're trying to do and can steer you in the right direction. So here, I mean, a lot of the shoes that I run in, um, when I'm on the trails, I will run in my road shoes more often than not, but I have some that are, are literally marketed as like road to trail type shoes. Um, they have like a little bit more tread on them than the average road shoe, but they're definitely not as aggressive as, um, as a true trail shoe and they're they're perfect for the type of running that I do here, which is like generally a mile, mile or two on the roads to get to the trailhead. Then I'm on the trail and it might be single track or fire road, but it's, it's definitely not technical. Like I don't need a lot of extra protection and it's, it's perfect for that, you know, for that type of thing. Um, but you know, also depending on, on the type of, um, training that you're doing event, I mean, much like when I'm training for a half marathon or road marathon, like I've got shoes that I'll do track workouts in. I've got shoes that I'll do my long run in. I've got a shoe that I might do my tempo run in. Like I have different shoes for different tasks basically. Um, and the same can be true on trails. Like I've got long haul shoes that might have a little bit more protection to them when I'm going to be on my feet longer. And I'd like to have just that little more cushion, um, toward the end of a long day, but I have some that are pretty sleek and they're, and they're fast and they're flat flatter uh in terms of like their stack height and you can really just like rip around on them but they give you like a little bit more grip um and a a bit more bite um relative to like maybe wearing a smoother sole like road shoe um on the dirt when you're trying to run fast so so yeah i think that's a good point like not not like one big takeaway from this whole talk is is not not all things trail running are created equal. Um, you know, and, and that goes for shoes as much as, as much as the trails themselves, the events, um, the gear, etc. Hey, everybody. Do you want to save money on your grocery bill? Well, every plate is 25% cheaper than grocery shopping. Try America's Best Value Meal Kit for planning dinners today. I love every plate for a couple of different reasons. First of all, I just love having things in my kitchen, especially in my refrigerator, that isn't the same old thing that I do every single week. Also, getting things that aren't too adventurous that my kids are definitely going to eat. Obviously, you're never going to beat that a thousand with that. But with every plate, my kids have really enjoyed it. And I like the food as well. And it's just not the same stuff every single week, which can get tiring. 
So you can choose between 17 recipes that change each week, swap proteins and sides for things that you like. So you can switch up your dinner routine however you want. And that's the key thing. It's however you want. There's so many options and it's all great stuff, which is also huge. For me, the difference between this and some of the other uh, services in this genre are, first of all, the price. It's absolutely fantastic. We'll get to it in a second. The kinds of meals that are provided, that they're really good, but not too adventurous, have also been a huge thing for me. And now I've been using these more often now that groceries have kind of gone up and the price for every plate has pretty much stayed the same. So try every plate today. It's $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179. That stands for $1.79 per meal. So get started with every plate, like I said, for $1.79 per meal by going to everyplate.com and entering code RamblingRunner179 today. That's up to $104 value. Our next partner has a product that I use literally every day. I started taking Athletic Greens because I heard other podcasters who were really into performance and athletics, people like Rich Roll and Tim Ferriss, who used it all the time. And I thought, hey, man, if they're going to use it, then I should too. And I'm so glad that I did. So what's in this stuff? Well, with one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, adaptogens, all to help you start your day the right way. The special blend of ingredients support your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your focus, your recovery, literally all the things. I mean, there's too many things for me to list. I actually have to like take a pause during the sentence, uh, but it's, it's legit and I'm so glad that I use it. I use it basically because I know that Getting my vitamins and minerals from from foods is probably the best way to do it, but I usually just don't have the kind of diet and make the kind of food choices that's going to put myself in the optimum position. And that's why I take Athletic Greens to make sure that I have everything I need because I know I'm probably not getting it from foods because I just don't quite have the, the discipline or the food choices that I need. And Athletic Greens is there to help me out. And I'm so glad that they are. It's just one scoop and a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash rambling runner to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutrition insurance. All right. So what's some, what's some other gear that people should be aware of um, that, that, you know, that, that you want to talk about before we start getting into the kinds of training that we you know that, that might vary or be a little bit different than someone would do on the roads? Um, so I'm going to lump this under what we'll call storage. Um, and that comes in a number of different ways. So for me, like when I would go, when I go run on the roads, I generally don't carry a lot with me. Um, I mean, yeah, I'll account for, you know, gels and stuff if I need to do that. But I, I'm not too concerned with like the amount of pockets as long as I can put my house key somewhere. Um, on the trail, especially when you're running longer, um, you're going to take more with you. You might want to have your phone in case you need you need it for an emergency or you need to look at a map or maybe you want to take some photos. Um, that's a big difference for me. Um, you may be taking more fuel because you um, are going to be out for longer. So you need to make sure you've got places to store that. Um, generally, you know, car keys, house keys, um, maybe a credit card or something in case you need to stop and like, you know, get a snack. Some places in the country, you might have to have 
you know, bear spray or something like that. Like, like there's just more stuff you may need to take with you. Um, so storage is important. So when I'm looking for like running shorts, I'm now like pockets are like my number one thing. I'm like, I got to have a lot of pockets cause I'm, I'm generally taking more stuff with me. Um, so, you know, tracksmith, um, which is a, a sponsor of my stuff. So I'm not trying to like just push their stuff, but they just put out a new trail shorts. Got like four pockets in the back. It's great. I've got Patagonia Strider Pro shorts. They've got like five pockets, like kind of like on the waistband too. And I can shove all kinds of stuff in there. Um, and that's just something on the roads that I, I am not necessarily having like top of mind. I've also worn like um, one of the brands, this is an actual brand it's called a spy belt, but they come in different, um, you know, different companies make them, but it's, it's essentially like a, you know, a runner's fanny pack in a lot of ways, uh, looks a little sleeker than that, but you can shove your phone in there. Um, snacks card, like whatever it is, is that you need. Um, and that's just something like on the trails, you want to think about storage. Cause generally there, especially if you're going longer, there are just going to be more things that you need or you'll want to have with you. So I think that's just something to, to consider whether it's your shorts, whether it's a separate pack, um, you know, could be tights as well that have, you know, that have extra pockets. Um, or, um, and this is another piece of gear that is very specific to, to trails and certainly ultras is potentially like a vest, um, that you're wearing with you. And that, and that could be, you know, into an easier way to carry hydration as well. You could have bottles in there, but they're also storage pockets, you know, and, and some people just like, don't like to have all this stuff around their waist. They'd rather just have it, you know, on, you know, on, on their, chest or on their back or something. Um, so they can easily act more easily access it with their hands. So, um, whether it's a hydration vest or even just a vest to carry stuff, uh, is something that you, you usually don't see on the roads all that much. Um, but it's more acceptable on the trails, but it's also very practical, um, and can be a, a very convenient way to carry the stuff with you that you need. Right. And part of the reason too, is that oftentimes I'll just use myself as an example. If I'm doing a long run on the roads, I hate, I prefer not to carry water on my mm -hmm. person. So if I'm doing a long run that does require me to have an ample supply of water, oftentimes I'll just kind of like say I park somewhere and then I'll run like some sort of like loop type yep. scenario where the water is at my car and I can, you know, chug a little bit, put it back in. I'm done. Right. So you take like a two minute stop max, right. Not even two minutes. Right. Um, yeah. And that's not exactly something that's going to fall into um, for most trail runners fall into exactly the, the route that they're going. So when you mentioned bringing water, you know, there's, I've had some dietitians come on the show, but they're like, if you run for even 45 minutes, there's going to be people who should be carrying water with them. So I know yeah. that this is, this is a major thing for a lot of people, even on the roads, but from an access standpoint, it's, it's going to be a completely different scenario. Yeah. And that could be handheld. Um, that could be a, you know, there are a lot of soft flask type bottles that, I mean, they're pretty impressive how they've been able to make like just waist belts for that. Um, where it's not the typical, like, you know, fuel belt, hard piece of plastic shove in like those work fine, but these like, you know, soft flasks that fit into just a, a pack that's like a fanny pack basically that's around your waist. Um, and that stuff's easily accessible. Um, so yeah, I mean, just, just hydration is key, especially the longer that you go. Cause oftentimes, you know, if you're out in the middle of the woods somewhere, there may not be water. Um, even here, like where there are plentiful trails, if I go run in the Marin headlands, there aren't many places where there's, there's water that's accessible. Like there are no, you know, there are no bubblers or anything like that, that I can, that I can access. So I've got to have all that stuff on me. Um, and, and that's now, just something now, if anyone does, if anyone didn't know ahead of time, 
that you were from New England or Southeastern New England. Yeah, the, bubble was the, the use of the word <laughs> bubbler absolutely gave it away. If people don't know, people might be like, what in the world is, is Mario yeah. talking about? That is not a trail specific jargon. That is actually what we call a water fountain here in Southern, uh, Southern New England. But if you're from Worcester, Massachusetts, that's what you call it. You call it a bubbler. Um, but anyway, my, my point being is like, you know, as a as a as a roadrunner, I mean, I would do exactly what you described. I typically run loops and I would pick up a bottle or I would stash them ahead of time. It's a lot harder to do on the trails because you're just a lot further out um, and things aren't accessible. So you have to you have to be more self-sufficient. You have to have all of this stuff on you. And, and that is just one, one big thing to keep in mind as well is like just self-sufficiency is, is key, whether it's hydration, nutrition, first aid stuff, um, which is something that we can talk about that with that. I don't even think I put on my outline, but it is very important. Um, like whatever, whatever it may be like self-sufficiency is, is something that, you know, you have to, you have to learn to just embrace as a, as a mountain trail and ultra runner. Now, what you mentioned early on was something that I definitely want to get into is that a lot of times when people think about this topic, mm-hmm. two things kind of get, get pushed together was the idea of trail running and ultra running. While oftentimes for many people, those two can coalesce, they are two right. very different things. So let's talk a little bit about the differences there and just what the landscape is for, um, I guess more specifically, because this seems to be a little less well-known is the idea of trail races that aren't aren't necessarily ultra marathons and just the prevalence of that sort of event, which for someone who's kind of dipping a toe into these waters might be a better fit than really going long and doing it in a new, new scenario. Yeah. Well, I think an, an apt um, comparison is, is how we think about the marathon as it relates to road racing. Um, you know, it's it's kind of all the rage is like hey have you done have you done a marathon or or like done a half marathon well there's these things called like 5k's and 10k's and road miles too which you know don't look as epic because they're not as long but they're challenging in their own ways um and i think for some people it's just a better entry point into the sport and i i do think like trail and ultra running do get lumped together oftentimes and there's this you know misconception that you're not really an ultra runner until like, you know, Oh, but have you run a hundred miles? It's like, well, no, I don't like, I don't have to run a hundred miles to be considered an ultra runner, but, but that's like kind of where things are, you know, are heading. And I, and I do think not to discourage people, but I do think that's dangerous because people, you know, they may watch a, a video online and be inspired by it, which is great. Um, and they think like, well, that's what I have to do. Like, I've got to jump right into that. And it's like, well, make that, you know, make that your goal for somewhere down the line. Why don't, you know, if you've never been on the trails before, let's like do a trail half marathon. Those exist. Like they exist. Um, and they're, you know, they're not going to take you as long and maybe they, they don't look like as epic from the outside looking in, but they're, they're, they're their own kind of challenge. Um, and I think like, you know, there's a lot of value from a competitive standpoint. Like if you are going to focus on the longer distances, you should also race shorter from time to time too, because I think you can develop new skills. Um, you can sharpen yourself, you know, quite a bit and, and learn some things that are going to help you for the longer distance. Um, so it's just like letting people know these things exist and you don't have to jump right to even a 50 K or a 50 mile, certainly not a hundred miles, like start with a trail 10 K or a half marathon. Like they, they exist around the country. Oftentimes, um, a lot of these bigger ultras will have shorter trail races um, and people tend to overlook those uh, and they just go right for the 50 K 50 mile, 
hundred miles, like see if they offer a, a half marathon or, or a 10 K and just, just get comfortable with it, get comfortable being on, you know, the trails and maybe testing, you know, what it's like to run with a pack for that long. I mean, you'd much rather test it in that environment, you know, that may take you say two hours than going out and doing something that's going to take you 12 hours uh, and having it go wrong, you know, type of thing. So, um, I think it's just creating awareness around that, that, you know, trail and ultra running, they aren't exactly the same thing. They do, they do mingle a lot. Um, and, and on the flip side, there are ultras that don't take place on the trails, uh, and those don't get talked about enough, but they're challenging in their own way. But, you know, I think it's just the, the scenery is not quite as spectacular. It doesn't look quite as good on Instagram. So why would you want to like, you know, waste your, waste your time and money on like that sort of thing when you can go to the mountains. So I think it's just for me, like I, I appreciate all the different aspects of it. Um, they're all very uniquely challenging. And I think it's just important. Like, and one thing I try to do from a coaching standpoint is encourage people like, okay, like if you really want to focus on, you know, these, these longer ultra distance trail races, like that's great. Um, and, and we'll build up for those the ones that you want to prioritize, uh, so on and so forth. But, you know, there's still times of the year when it's to our benefit to race shorter, whether it's on the roads or on the trails, um, to dip our toes in other events, to train, you know, in a, in a different way. So my, this is my long winded way of saying like all of these things can coexist. Um, and that doesn't mean they all have to coexist at the same time, but when you think about, you know, your career as an athlete, you think about your year and how you're planning it out. Um, you know, there can be times of the year when you're focusing on, you know, ultra distance trail races. Um, and there can be times of the year when you can go back and focus on, you know, on shorter road races. Um, and, and those two things can complement each other really, really well if you do it right. You bring up a great point of the idea of there being multiple events around like one race setting. You know, this, mm-hmm. I did a basically the only trail race I ever did was that exact same situation under armor. I had a series of events a couple of years ago and they had the one up in in Killington in Vermont that I went to. So I think I did like the 5k, they also had a 10k, a 25k and a 50k, right? So you're kind of Mm -hmm. going up and down these mountains. And, and for me, 5k was a good fit for me. I mean, that that's where I was. I wasn't super, um, well-versed in trail running. And I was just worried about just being out there for too long, but even the 5k was quite challenging tons of different terrain you basically went up the mountain and then down the mountain <laughs> it was completely it was, it was a wild experience and one where you know it, just from a community standpoint if someone's worried like i'm new to this this is not something that i'm super comfortable doing that's how i felt and mm-hmm. just a community aspect it didn't come across that way i wasn't looked down upon oh you're only doing the 5k i'm doing 10 times that and there was not this stigma attached to this this shorter race yeah, the the community just in mountain ultra trail running is incredible. Um, short, long road trail, it really is a, a special group of people, um, and they are very welcoming. and And you will feel that way when you go to an event. You'll feel welcome whether you're doing five k or you're doing fifty k. Um, you know, you are going to feel welcome. So I think it's just not allowing yourself to be you know, intimidated by that. I mean, I did, um, it was a couple of years ago. I did the Under Armour series race up in, up in Bend, Oregon. I did the half marathon. I mean, and that was a, you know, two hour half marathon for me. Uh, and it was great. It was fun. I had a blast. Uh, and it was like super duper challenging. Um, but you know, there was all these other events going on. It was fun to cheer other people in and you could see there are people there who I think did the 10 K or might've done the half marathon and you know, they, they got a taste of it. And, and I think that was like a, you know, 
they left there encouraged and excited to maybe try something longer someday. Um, but maybe not, maybe they, maybe their jam is going to be, you know, doing 10 K half marathon type stuff, like on the trail rather than on the road. And that's, and that's totally cool too. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And I think that a lot of the people who are interested in this topic are people that are probably not in a situation where they're like living in this space where like, Hey, I live up in the mountains, but I've never done trail running, right? There are people who are probably living in more suburban areas, maybe more urban areas or just places that aren't completely stocked with trail running. Um, or maybe it's just not quite where they live. Maybe they'd have to be like, I have, mm-hmm. we have trails, but I have to drive there. Right. So for people who really want to get into this, but aren't going to be like, Hey, I'm going to do all of my runs out on the trails. Let's talk about, you know, seg- you know scheduling um, when and how and where uh, within a weekly or monthly schedule in terms of getting people in a situation where they're preparing themselves for a hillier type um, trail race, but in a way where they're not only running on trails in preparation for that race. Yeah. Great question. Um, one thing I will say before I, I get into the specifics of that too, even if you don't have any interest in trail racing, um, but you're, let's call you trail curious uh, and you're primarily a, you're primarily a, a road runner or, or road racer. Um, there's a lot of benefit and I, and I would do this before I ever considered myself a trail runner. Um, seek out some soft ground where you live, like stuff that you can get to fairly easily. Maybe it's just a park with a grass field and, and just get off the roads, you know, at least a day a week, like give yourself that like one day a week, or maybe it's a, maybe it's a day every other week or something like that. If it takes a little effort to get to the trail um, and just do one of your easy runs, you know, on the grass or on the trail. And the reason I encourage that is, is one, just to appreciate how different it is um, in terms of how you're interacting with the ground underneath you. Um, you know, how it, how it makes your body feel during and afterward, um, what effect that has like just on your pace. Um, but also, you know, because I think you can learn to let go of like some of those things we talked about earlier, like splits, um, and distance and, you know, just, just like try and appreciate the, the headspace that it puts you in along with, you know, how your body is going to feel when you just do something different from what you, you typically do. Um, and again, like that's just as a, as a recovery run or something like that, not as, um, a means of building up towards something that is going to be like a a longer distance, like mountain race or anything like that. But to that point, um, you know, if that is something that you do want to do and you live in a city, um, and I, I have a few women that I coach in New York city who are primarily marathoners. And over the past couple of years, they've done, you know, North face marathon, North face 50 K, um, that type of thing. And what we've done with them is like during the week, they, because of their their jobs and their schedules, they they can't get out of the city. Um, it's just not it's not possible. So you know there isn't much we can do in terms of like getting to trails. But I'll have them do what I I just mentioned is like, hey, let's try and find some grass or some softer surfaces at least once a week that we can get on for either a distance run or maybe a workout. Um, just because running you know running intervals on grass is very different than running intervals on pavement. Um, just in terms of how fast you can go, you know what's happening mechanically, um, all those, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, so that's one thing I would suggest. And then two, like with a little bit of planning, it's like in most places I would think like within a, within an hour or two drive, like you can probably drive somewhere where there's at least a small network of trails or dirt road or, or something where, you know, you can, 
you can get out for a longer run and implement a lot of the things that we talked about earlier in this conversation from nutrition and hydration to, you know, stuff that you're carrying, um, implementing vertical gain. Um, that just takes, that takes planning. Um, and that's, you know, for the athlete and the coach to like, look at the schedule and be like, okay, well, Hey, we've got 12 weeks to this race. Um, you know, over the course of these 12 weeks, like let's try, you know, maybe four times to get out to, you know, this park that's an hour and a half away and go for a longer run and just make that a, a priority in your, you know, in your training schedule. It's going to take that. Um, if that's just not possible, like you're kind of stuck in in your city or near your home and you don't have easy access to trails or a park or anything like that. I mean, the most important aspect when it comes to racing these distances is fitness and you can develop fitness, um, off trail. You can do that on the road. You can do that on the track. Um, and it doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't, um, make you more comfortable, like in those environments, but it does offset a lot of things. Like if you're really, really fit, um, yeah, maybe you'll have, you know, you won't be super comfortable navigating the terrain, but you just didn't have the opportunity to, to get out and practice on it. Like fitness is going to help you overcome a lot of that. Um, you know, the more, the more fit you are, the more, that you're going to be able to do and you can develop a very high level of fitness like off the trail. So I would say if you have no trail access, um, you know, just focus on getting as fit as you possibly can, you know, given the environment that you're in and the constraints that you're, you're working with. Cause if, you know, if you have, if you don't have familiarity with the trails, you haven't been able to like do a lot of climbing and do a lot of descending just cause you don't have access to that sort of stuff. Um, if you have a high level of fitness that will offset a lot of it. Um, right. you know, that's so a that's great point. Most- I mean, even if like you look at other sports, it's the exact same way, right? If you took an Olympic swimmer and then dropped mm-hmm. them into a rough water open swim, you know, they, they might not be used to the salt water. They're not used to the waves, mm-hmm. but they're going to be able to swim fast. And as soon as they start to adapt to that situation, their fitness will end up carrying the day. Yeah. And, and so that's, you know, from a, from a training standpoint, um, if you're looking to, you know, to, do well at these types of distances, whatever that means for you, you know, whether that's just finishing it, whether that's like breaking, you know, a a certain time barrier, whether it's qualifying for a, you know, a bigger event, um, fitness is the most important thing that you can bring with you to the starting line. So if you don't have access to any of the other stuff, just because of, of where you are, you know, focus on getting yourself as fit as possible. And that will take you a long way. All right, let's talk about strength and athleticism um, mm-hmm. for trail running. And I want to just, and maybe this is just me, and if it is, we can just edit this part out later. Um, but so when I end up doing trail running or just even running on like grassy areas uh, around here, and there are several that I like to run on, one thing that I always notice that, that my feet feel different yeah. after the run or maybe during the last third of the run, you know, they start to wear, they, my feet themselves will end up being fatigued, which I never get that sensation when I'm running on the roads. Even if I'm running for a long time, I never notice my feet specifically. Whereas when I'm running on grass or I'm running trails, I feel them every single time. And that's just one example. But, you know, I know you wanted to talk about strength and strength, athleticism, agility, proprioception, all of that stuff. And I know as someone who would definitely fall into the, I haven't done this before or very much, I want to do more of it. I noticed that right away. Yeah. And this is what I mean about trail running, you know, whether you're doing ultras or not, just being a different sport. Um, and these are, these are just skills that you don't necessarily need to be successful on the roads, but 
you definitely need those tools in your box when you're on the trails, especially if you want to to do it well. So, you know, trail running, I think, is just a much more athletic activity than running on the roads. And, you know, this is this is for a number of reasons. You mentioned your feet. You know, why are they more sore when you're running on grass? Well, because you're the grass forces you to engage more. Um, you know, you're, you're just engaging a lot more and, you know, the surface underneath your feet is not nearly as, as uniform. So, you know, the, the rhythm of your running isn't as, as consistent. There's more variety in there. So you're just stressing your feet, you know, in a, in a different way. Like, whereas you're running on the roads, like you more or less have very, you know, consistent, you know, ground contact time and like, you know, the, the amount of, the amount of your foot that's coming in contact with the ground is about the same on the trails. It can be all over the place. Like you, you might be tiptoeing around like, you know, some rocks and you're just engaging your, you know, your lower leg muscles and soft tissue in in just a a way that you don't, you know, on the roads. Um, and the best way to train that is, is getting on the trails and the more you do it, the more comfortable you get and you will adapt. and, And over time, um, that stuff doesn't affect you as much. Um, I remember interviewing, Rob Crar once. I, I don't coach Rob, but I interviewed him uh, because he came from, you know, a track road racing background before he got into trail and ultra running. And he moved to Flagstaff, Arizona. And he said, he's like, you know, there's this trail, I can't remember the name of it, but this trail like near his house that someone took him for a run on uh, when he first moved to Flagstaff. And he was like, what the F is this? Um, and he was like tiptoeing and falling all over the place. Uh, and he's like, this is the most technical trail in the entire world. And he's like, now he's like, I, that's like my easy run trail. I just go out and I do it all the time. And I don't even, you know, I don't even think twice, but you have to adapt. Um, so, you know, I think anyone who is, is going from, you know, pretty much all roads and doing some trail running, like realize like, yeah, there are going to be some just little like niggles and bumps and things like that, that you, you experience right away, but you can, you know, you can train that stuff by one, just doing more trail running, but, you know, focusing on developing your overall athleticism. So the things that, you know, PTs and many coaches preach to just runners in general about, you know, doing mobility work, strength training, um, maybe plyometrics, that sort of stuff, all the more important, I think for, um, trail and ultra stuff, especially if you can't spend a lot of time on the trails themselves. I mean, cause if you're spending a lot of time on the trails themselves, I mean, you're just going to address these things naturally when you're, you know, when you're out there and you're navigating this different type of terrain. But if you're that person who's living in the city, you don't have a lot of access to trails and you're focusing on getting as fit as possible. And you're still going to do this 50 K, you know, a couple months from now, like definitely make sure that you're in the weight room. Um, I would recommend doing, you know, some stuff that's going to just help your overall proprioception. Um, and, and this is non-running type stuff. It's just like plyometric type exercises, um, you know, hopscotch type exercises I've had people, people doing, cause you do do some of that, like on the trails when you're just like tiptoeing through, you know, like a, a bed of rocks or whatever it may be. Um, you know, those sorts of things, you know, come in very handy on the trails. If you're someone who comes from a very athletic background, um, that is to your, you know, to your advantage. If you have good hand-eye coordination, that is to your advantage, you know, on the trails because you just have a lot of, um, you know, a lot more that you have to be aware of and have to navigate than you do, you know, on the roads. And then, you know, thinking about this in a racing context or even someone who's just spending more time on the trails, like the demands on your body are a lot different, especially if you are in the mountains or in a very hilly place. Um, So, you know, for example, like, if you, if you 
live in a place where you're like, okay, I used to just run mostly like flat or rolling roads all the time. And now I'm just going to go spend more time in the mountains. Um, the demands of that environment are going to be a lot different. And in order to better handle the demands of that environment, the stronger you are, the more athletic you are, um, the better you're going to be able to do that in these longer races, you know, whether you're trying to win or you're just trying to, to finish, I mean, relative to like what you could do on the roads, like you're not running very fast per se, um, like in terms of pure, you know, intensity. So the longer the race goes, it's not about like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to finish this one out hard and come home with a big kick. Like that just not, that just doesn't happen in ultras. It's not how it works, but you know, he or she who slows down the least, and, and what is going to help you slow down the least is just going to be like, it's being very structurally sound and being able to move efficiently um, and, and keep your mechanics together when things start to fatigue. And that's, you know, there's an element of fitness to that, but a lot of that is just strength. Like just being able to, you know, to handle like what the course throws at you, um, you know, because it, it tends to be it tends to be a lot more brutal, especially at the end of a long race than it is, you know, in a, in a half marathon or, or a marathon where you can, you know, you can use your fitness to kind of finesse your way through the end. Whereas, you know, in a longer trail event, um, you know, the stronger you are, the more athletic you are, um, you know, the, 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 the more of those tools you have in your box, the better you're going to be. All right, so I'm going to have a couple more questions for you, Mario, a couple of other topics that we want to hit. I do want to let people know if they want to ask their own question. We do have the chat box available, so feel free to pop a question in there as well. One of the big differences, Mario, between trail and trail, and especially ultra or not even ultra, but just mountain running. I'm talking about mm-hmm. the difference between, see, trail and mountain running versus road running is the idea of, but the you know effort level and this like go hard i don't want to walk type of road mentality which is can be which i'm not going i'm not going to characterize it as a bad thing right like if i went out for a, say a 10 mile run and i'm like i don't want to walk i want to keep moving here and, you know that that isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world but in from a mountain running perspective it takes on a completely different um, a completely different shape. So let's talk about that topic because yeah. I know it's something that is vastly different in these two worlds. Yeah. So, so two part answer. First part of that to go back, what I said at the very top of this show, that's one of the things you need to learn to let go of. Um, it's, it's, it's okay to walk anytime you're running. If you need to walk, like stop and walk, catch your breath, you know, get some water down, whatever it happens to be in, in trail and ultra running. Like that's one of the hardest things for newbies to let go of. And, and I, and I am 100% guilty of that. You know, I wanted to run up everything because there's a point, like, I think there's a feeling of pride associated with that. Like you tell you, you're like, Nope, I'm a runner and I'm going to run this damn hill. It's like, well, actually, um, if the hill is long enough and steep enough, it's actually to your advantage to learn how to hike it efficiently because you can conserve energy that way and, and actually be stronger later in the run and like all these things. Um, so it's learning to let go of that. The second part is realizing that is a skill. Um, it's not as easy as like stopping running and just like you start walking. Like there is a, a proper way to hike or walk when you are either training for this stuff or certainly, you know, in a race. And if you watch the best athletes um, do it, I mean, one, they're, they're walking pretty fast, um, but they're walking with intention. And that is something that they have practiced over time. Um, you know, one of, 
one of the most consistent runners um, year in and year out at Western States is Ian Sharman. He finished top 10, I don't know how many times, um, and he was on the podium a couple times as well. I mean, you got to watch this guy like power hike um, during during a race. I mean, he can bomb downhill too, which is where he makes up a lot of time, but he's an incredible hiker and he uses it to his advantage in these long races. And then, you know, that gives, you know, that allows him to conserve some energy and then the parts where he can really run and open it up. Like he flies. That's just not something that happens. He practices it. Like he goes out. If you follow him on Strava, he goes out and he hikes like for his second, you know, his second, like workout of the day, um, or like during the week, like those are things that he actually practices much like you would practice running race pace. Um, you know, he practices hiking and that's something that I encourage trail and ultra runners to, to do is like, Hey, if, especially if the, the race that you're training for demands it, learn how to hike. Um, you know, an athlete I coach, Tim Tollefson, um, comes from a, a, a running background like I do, um, cross country and track and, um, ran like a 218 marathon before we got into ultras. The first year we prepped for CCC, which is the hundred K race at, at the UTMB festival of races. That was his first time racing in Europe. Um, it was his first hundred K he went over and he, he finished on the podium and he did not take poles. Um, and in Europe, like the Europeans, I mean, they are mountain athletes, um, before they're, they're runners and they are like incredible with the poles and like they're a tool and they use them to their advantage. Well, Tim went over there and I mean, he had a great race. He finished on the podium. First thing he says to me after he, he crosses the line, he goes, I need to learn how to use poles. Um, because he went in there and he wasn't using poles and he was like hell bent on, on trying to run every climb. And I mean, those, those mountains over there are brutal and he learned he couldn't do that um so he was hiking without poles and you know he you know he was losing time to people you know who were you know who were just like schooling him up you know up the mountain he was able to like make it up on the on the descents but that is a, that is a skill after that race like we started practicing hiking in our training and you know the last few times that he's done utmb or any um, European mountain races. I mean, he's become very proficient at using the poles, but it's something that we practice. Um, you know, so whether you use poles or not, um, realizing like, you know, if you're going to be doing a, a race that has a lot of vertical gain, um, especially if it's a longer one, you're going to be out for quite a while. Like it is to your advantage to learn how to hike. Um, very, very important to, to learn how to do that. It's just not like, Oh, I, I decide that I'm going to walk. You're going to be very strategic about it. And you're going to be very intentional with how it is that you move. All right, Mario, we're starting to get a couple questions here. First one from Carolyn Mario, when you refer to going to a specialty shoe store to figure out uh, the appropriate trail running shoes, do you mean an actual running shoe store or an outdoor store like REI where you have someone, where would you start? Um, it seems that oftentimes running shoe stores focus much more on road shoes as opposed to the outdoor shoes and, and just the, the discrepancy between those two. Yeah, good good question. Um, a lot of running shops, depending where you live, um, let's just say in, in this country, may not even carry trail shoes. Um, so that just that is something to, you know, to keep in mind. I take that for granted here in California because we have so many trails, but I know that's not the case everywhere. Um, but that said, I do think if you go into an actual store, you're better off going to the run specialty store um, where the the staff are runners and they know these shoes and they can better advise you. Whereas in a, a bigger store like an REI, um, an outdoor type of store, they they generally, I mean, some places may have someone on staff who knows the trail running shoes and, and can help you out. But I think you have, you're going to have better luck at 
a a run specialty shop. Um, but also, um, especially now during COVID times, there are a lot of great resources online um, where you know you can you can get very detailed reviews of shoes that are that are are geared toward trail. Um, and they can tell you like, hey, here's how this differs from, you know, a, a road shoe um, type of type of situation. But I, I would say, like, if you go into an actual store, definitely try and get into a, a specialty run shop. Um, you know, again, with the caveat being like, maybe in your area, like they they just don't, there just isn't a lot of trail running. So they don't have a lot of inventory. And then that's, you know, that's, that's certainly going to make things hard. Um, but there are a lot of good online resources as well, where you can um, where you can check that stuff out. Like I run far, uh, com has some good resources on their site. Um, ultra runner podcast will do gear reviews from time to time. Um, and, and different shoes, ginger runner. Uh, he, I actually think he does some of the best, best gear and shoe reviews of, of anyone, you know, on the web. And he does a mix of, of both. And, and um, Ethan has, you know, experience like you know, playing in playing in both worlds, so he can he can tell you how the shoes are different, um, what type of terrain they're good for, that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I hope that answers Carolyn's question. Yeah, she actually has another question too, and then we'll get to Bridget. Um, also, what is your advice on safety and preparedness as a female? I'm already very conscientious of running by myself, and the idea of running on trails by myself makes me wary. Yeah, I think it's a it's another, especially for for females, like it's it's another, um, it's another factor to, to kind of consider. I mean, regardless of who you are, I mean, anytime I'm going to go for a run, whether it's on the road or the trails, like I always tell my, my wife at minimum, like where I'm going, like, Hey, here's my plan generally, like where I'm, where I'm going to go. So, so she knows the person who is expecting me to come home, you know, has an idea like where I'm, where I'm going to be. Um, so I think that's just good practice to, to do. Um, it's just letting someone know like, Hey, you know, just giving you a heads up, I'm heading out, I'm heading out for this run. And then you can check in with them afterward. Maybe they'll ask you how it goes. And there's, there's added benefits to that, but from a safety standpoint, just, just making sure there's someone who knows, um, where you are, I think is, is important. Um, you know, also if you, if you don't wear something like a road ID, um, get one, um, you know, they're, I think they're all the more important on the trails, but it's just good. That's just like good, basic safety practice to have in mind is like have a road ID. Um, so if something were to happen, you're, you can easily be identified. Um, definitely on the trails. Like I don't, when I'm on the roads, I generally don't run with a, a phone, but I will bring, I will bring a, a phone so that I can communicate if I need to from out on the trails. If I get lost, um, or I run into any issues. Like hopefully I'm able to, I can have cell service that I can get in touch with someone. Um, so I think like, that's just something you want to have with you on the trails. Um, you know, also as well, you know, as a, as a female, um, but also if you are in like a mountainous area, um, you may need to take like something like a bear spray with you or, or maybe pepper spray as a, you know, as, as a safety thing. Um, but that is something like maybe you wouldn't carry on the, on the road, just running through the park, but you may want to have it on the trails, whether it's, you know, in, in the off chance that you encounter a person or, or an animal that could, you know, that could give you some trouble. Um, you know, also I, whenever possible, like take someone with you. Um, I mean, I, you know, I, I love running by myself, but you know, also if I'm going to go do something, if I'm going to go do something pretty long, um, one, I, I like to have company for that. I think it tends to make the experience more enjoyable, but it's also, there, there is safety in numbers. You know, there's, there's definitely safety in numbers. Um, you know, if, if you're a, I, I almost hate to say this, but it's true, but it's like, if you're a, if you're a female and you're out by yourself, um, 
you know, you become a lot easier target for someone um, versus if you're out there with, you know, with someone. Um, and that's just a, you know, I wish that I wish that weren't the case, but there is there's definitely safety in numbers as well. So I think just whenever you have the opportunity to get out with someone, um, try and, you know, try and try and do that. All right. Sorry about the pause there. I was actually, I was actually, um, I was actually just uploading, and now it's available. Uh, Dr. Megan Roche's um, her talk right now. But we're going to just ask uh, one more question with you, Mario. I want to just want to put that live because it is one o'clock, and people might be looking for that. Um, but I do have one more question. This one is from Bridget. So. This is Bridget. I ran my first 50K this fall by myself, a total solo venture for a virtual race. My, my pace was pretty casual for me and a decent amount of walking, two thirds on a rolling trail and one third on the road. I'd like to get into uh, in-person trail 50Ks um, in a year or two, but most races close-ish will be uh, hillier than trails that, I've, um, that I have. And I'd like to mm-hmm. put in more of a, a race effort. Any tips for training to nail my next 50K with all of that as background? Yeah, so back to what we were saying earlier, focus on fitness. I try to get yourself as fit as you possibly can. Um, You know, the thing about a 50K, not all 50Ks are are created equal, but from a a training standpoint, um, trying to get yourself in really good shape for a 50K doesn't look that much different than trying to get yourself really, really fit for a marathon. Um, I do think you know, as best you can, you need to address the, the specificity of the, the course and the terrain that you are going to, that you are going to race, but, you know, do the best you can, I think with, with what you have and, you know, going in knowing like, okay, I wasn't able to get on trails that are quite as hilly, you know, as this race, but, you know, practicing, like knowing if you're looking at the course profile, like knowing where those hills are going to come, you know, being like, okay, you know, maybe I'm not as strong on the climbs. I just haven't been able to get in quite the vertical gain that I could, but I have a high level of fitness. So I'm just going to try and tackle those, you know, as efficiently as possible. But the areas of the course where, you know, I really can run and I can open it up, like I'm going to try and take full advantage of that. So from a strategic standpoint, it's like, you know, playing to your strengths or what it is that you've been able to train. Um, and just knowing like, you know, where, because of the limitations on your training, you might not be able to gas it quite as much as you want to, um, you know, just, just adjusting your effort accordingly for that. But bottom line is like, you know, in the build up to the race, get yourself as, as fit as possible. Um, I think try and, you know, even if you don't live in an area that's as hilly as where the race is going to be itself, try and, and make use of the hills that you do have. I mean, a, a good example of this um, in the in the trail and ultra world is very recognizable is Casey Licktig. Um, she lives in Nebraska. She does pretty well in these races that are very, you know, mountainous and, and hilly. And there's a there's a New York Times article from a few years ago that you can look up and find. Um, I think she's got like one hill in her town that's like 150 meters or something like that and as crazy as this sounds um and maybe it's not your idea of a good time but she was just going up and down that hill as, as best she can like she didn't have anything longer than like 150 meters or you know maybe it was like a two minute hill i can't remember exactly how long it was but my point being is like that was the hill that she had and she made the best use of it that she could got herself as fit as possible and then just you know focused on executing a, a good intelligent race and it, it's worked out well for her more times than not Mario, thank you so much for all of the knowledge. This has been extremely helpful, um, not only to me, but I'm seeing the chat that people are really appreciating the answers uh, to the questions as well. I really appreciate it. And again, thank you so much for being here. 
You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It was super fun and hope everyone enjoys the rest of the summit. Mario, thank you so much for speaking about this important topic. It is just vital to so many people who are trying to do something really cool, really exciting, but they don't know where to start. And here's Mario answering all of those questions. Also, big up to OS First, my favorite sock brand. I was actually rocking the uh, the compression calf sleeves yesterday and the day before for my runs. I love the calf sleeves. I think some people use them um, you know, for the compression element. What I love them for, and they are great in that sense, what I love the calf sleeves for is that it's kind of that middle ground where I don't want to wear tights. And it's a little too cold for shorts. I like to throw the calf sleeves on there to kind of mitigate some of the uh, the cold effects. And for me, this was, it was perfect weather for it. So big ups to OS First. They are really, really doing such great work. So go check them out and use code Rambling to go see some dough when you do. So uh, thank you so much for listening, for rating, for reviewing, and more importantly, for sharing the show with your friends who you think might either find some enjoyment, some expertise, or for whatever reason, whatever reason you like this show and you want to share it with your friends, I certainly appreciate it when you do so. So thank you so much for listening and happy running. This has been a production of Rambling Runner Podcast. This podcast is produced by David Margetti of InPost Media. Thank you to Meta P for the music. His song, Righteous Path, featuring Rex Mayhem and Chip Fu, is produced by Symphonic Bang. Yeah. Enterprising in my surroundings, I'm finding the quietest estates these days. This representation of storm brewing, amazed that the focus remains the vocal focal point of my change. I'm trying to show this industry I got.